Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, your co-host is David Robinson. David is a client of mine, and he is doing big things in the real estate syndication industry. I know you are going to enjoy today's show. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, David Robinson. Today, our guest is Seth Teagle. Seth, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on today. So Seth is a multifamily real estate investor operating in Columbus, Ohio, and is a principal and director of operations at Stream Group. Stream Group is a vertically integrated real estate company that has a large portfolio, both in Ohio and various other states. Seth is also still working as a lieutenant paramedic with 21 years in the fire service. So Seth, I want to get into your story and how you've been able to build a substantial portfolio and a substantial business while still working with as a paramedic and with fire department there. So let's back up and let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the space, and then we'll take the conversation forward from there. Uh, yeah, so I got into real estate probably seven years ago, and was I got into the firefighting right out of high school, did it all through college and whatnot, and Got to a point in my life where I was kind of like looking for something else or looking for something to do on the side. We work 24 hours on and we have 48 hours off. So most firemen have some other job or career or hobby, you know, whatnot. And and most guys that are in the fire service are pretty handy. You know, we a lot of guys do construction and different trades and whatnot. And so I had kind of been exposed to that stuff my whole career. Kind of wanted to get into real estate and met a friend of mine who's become a friend that was flipping houses and kind of started learning from him, worked, uh, managed projects and his portfolio for a little while before I actually dove into purchasing anything or being, I guess, having any risk with owning anything. And once I did that, it was I took off from there. And so you started in that flipping business with him. And is that is that where you started? Yeah. So that was my exposure. Like, I feel like I've been doing education for probably about a year and a half or so, consuming everything that I could. And I didn't know anybody doing real estate investing. Uh, he was a general contractor that kind of flipped on the side and met with him. And as I was actively listening to his whole business and how he got into it, I kept hearing that he was having problems with project management. So I offered to be his project manager, basically work for free to get on the job training and kind of see what this whole thing was like. Um, I did that for six months. Then I switched to managing his properties. He had a portfolio of about 20 units. And through that experience, two things I learned. One was that I didn't want to do flipping and I didn't want to do single family. In order for me to maintain a career and scale, I had to go multifamily. I also realized that I kind of find something that I was really passionate about is, you know, I didn't, I never really thought I could find something that I liked as much as fire service. Once I kind of had the bug, that was it. So when did you make the transition to multifamily and how did you actually make that transition? So I was with him for a year, uh, working and kind of learning. And then basically what I did was I said, Hey, you know, I want to go into multifamily. Here's the money that I have. I went to an investor and I said, and I kind of pitched him, you know, I mean, I put on like a formal presentation, if you will. Uh, and said, look, he was a single family guy that uh, had a bunch of equity and property. I said, if you cash out refi, he didn't know what that was. I explained to him what that was. So he pulled out equity. We put our money together. And I'm like, let me go find something that like the biggest thing that we can buy. So I went out into an, a tertiary market here in Ohio and I found a 50 unit. And that was the first thing that we ever bought. So I went, jumped in with both feet. It's a crazy story, that first deal. But once that one was done, it was great after that. 
And so what were some of the challenges that you face in navigating this business of multifamily, commercial multifamily investing while still working as a firefighter and a paramedic? I think the biggest thing is time management, balancing family and a career and this. When I first got started, I was not big enough to have a team. At least I didn't feel like I was. And I really didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know back then. And I, I read a book in that first property that I was in called, from by Dan Sullivan called Who Not How. And I'm a huge champion of that book because it just changed my mindset. You know, the firemen, and especially my family, we are very much like, you know, I'll fix it. I'll do this. I'll do that. I have to do everything. There's a hole in the drywall. I'm not hiring that out to somebody else. I'm going to do it, you know? And I have a garage full of tools and I used to do all that stuff. And I learned after that first property that, I had to put the tools down if I really wanted to kind of grow, get bigger. And that's what I did that. And, and finding the right team, putting the right people in the right in the, in the same room has really helped us accomplish our goals and, you know, kind of get where, get me from point A to point B and where I, and then now we're just growing like crazy. And hopefully, you know, I won't say hopefully I'll leave the fire service, but I'm sure I'll, I will eventually leave uh, just due to the, what we're doing. And so uh, maybe just to give our listeners some context, let's like fast forward and let's talk about what does your business look like today? Team members that are involved, what you guys are focused on, markets, property type, et cetera. Right now, we've, most of our portfolio is C-class. We've got some B, a little bit of A, and a little bit of commercial, but the, I would say the big chunk of it is C-class. Um, it was just a, here in central Ohio, it's easy to get into the price per door in some of these secondary tertiary markets. Uh, the cost per door is still lower. Uh, we can still cash flow them great. I always want to buy for cash flow. I don't, I'm not at a point where I'm buying simply to, to bet on appreciation. So uh, that's a big chunk of it. We have on my own being, you know, the singlepreneur. And I met another fireman that was uh, in commercial space for a long time. So we teamed up. So him and I are here in Columbus. Uh, if you look on our website, Tim Shaw is his name. Um, and then, you know, through various relationships uh, and networking, you know, we've just grown the business. We have um, several team members on there now that the, partner side that are kind of like the the head of the company. And then we have our own management company. Now we manage a little over 400 units here centrally in Ohio. We have integrated construction as well now because we kept having the same problems with contractors and having them show up on time and having delays and like the budget's being off and all those things. So we were like, well, how do we fix that? So a guy here in Columbus that I'm good friends with, he had a project management and construction company called Project X. And they were doing multi-million dollar projects here in Columbus. And I went to him and I said, look, we, I'm doing all this work in multifamily. Let's create something where your, your service can, can help me. And so that's really streamlined our process now where when we go into a deal, we'll know from you know day two or three in due diligence, whether, you know, what is it, what does the budget really look like to flip this place or to, to take it from C to B or whatever the plan is. And then we can provide the contractors, we can provide the, the project management. And now we're We've built it up to where it's a service that we're actually offering to other multifamily owners that are here in Columbus, in Ohio. You know, we can really go anywhere. You know, that's that's a nice thing, and it's it's pretty neat. You've integrated the management company as well as a construction company. You built out the team on with Stream Group. Just a quick question about the management company: Are you only managing your own portfolio, or are you providing management services outside of your own personal portfolio? Oh, so right now it's just our own portfolio. Yeah, the most economical way for us to do it and the way for us to kind of oversee the control and the quality. If you've had to deal with third-party managers, you know, if you get to, if you have 300, 400 units, it's a different type of management company that you're dealing with. But if you're trying, if you've got a 40 unit or a 60 unit or 20 units, even, you know, you're depending on where you're buying at, it can be a, it can be a tough, a tough thing to navigate is, is dealing with some of those managers. 
And so going back to the team building and the who, not how book that you read by Dan Sullivan, sort of open your mind to this concept of, hey, you know, building this team with specialized roles. What was that? You mentioned that, hey, you know, you, you connected with a fellow firefighter that was in your local market. You connected with some other individuals that had different skill sets that, that were brought to the table. What kind of impact has that team building had on your personal growth in this space? Oh, it's been able to help us explode. I mean, we've grown company-wide. We have over 2,000 doors that we have um, equity in. Um, some of it's just KP role. Some of it's uh, we got equity to help with the operations or just kind of the oversight. If it was a, a newer operator, you know, that wanted to just bring on somebody almost like as a mentor. So we have equity holdings and all kinds of different things. You know, it helped me be able to spread out what I can do in my bandwidth is the big thing, right? Now I'm able to focus on $1,000, $10,000 an hour tasks and keep working on the business instead of getting sucked into the daily grind of being in it. You know, I really like, I live and die by the fact, like I said, if something comes on my, into my, my lane or onto my plate, if you will, getting it off quickly, if it's not distracting me from the things I should be doing. So. And being a guy that had a background, you talked about your family, that you're the do-it-yourselfer type guy. What kind of challenges did you face in taking that leap and bringing on team members? Uh, I know that there's a lot of our listeners that are in that space, right? They, they've been doing well. They, they have some systems set up for finding deals and acquiring deals, but they would like to build a team out. Any advice that you have for someone that's in that space that's used to doing things as a solopreneur or an entrepreneur? And uh, but understands for them to go to where they want to go, that they need to build a team out. Any advice for someone that's in that phase? Yeah, I would just say that like really, really understand where you want to go, how quickly you want to get there. For me, I wanted to grow quickly, so it made sense. But and then kind of getting to know and understand the core of the person that you're getting involved with. You know, do you have the same the same ethics? Do you have the same morals? Do you believe the same? You know, some of the same business practices, because that's where I see a lot of people that go into JVs and they don't, you know, they, they jump right into it. And then you're kind of married to each other. And any one of these deals, you know, you're, the investors are married to the, uh, the operators, the operators are married to each other. If you're on the, the GP side, and if you don't know that person well enough, or they don't have a, a track record that you can kind of look into to see how, to, how have they done, you know, it, it can be tough, but, you know, I definitely think that uh, not every, I heard a lot of bad things about doing joint ventures or a lot of bad things about partnering with people. And I've uh, found the exact opposite to be true. And I think it's just because we, the way I, you know, investigate people and, and, uh, and really it comes down to, I want to work, you know, the people I work with, I want to like, you know, and so sometimes more important is really just kind of understanding who that person is and how they tick. And then if you, we get along and then it's going to be a great, great time. You spoke to getting to know somebody and sort of understanding how they do business. In your experience, did you joint ventures where you sort of kept separate businesses with your future partners before you formalized a partnership? Or did you just get to know each other outside of actually doing a deal together and then formalized a relationship? Tim Shaw and I, you know, we we had common friends and that's how we met. And then we had obviously the being both firemen, we've had that kind of brotherhood going on. But I could vet him from other people that he was around or had been around him for years and years, you know. And so that was kind of how I did that. I didn't have, you know, I think we knew each other for probably a year, maybe a little longer before we decided to, to really truly partner up and have a business where we both have ownership in. Most of the stuff that I have, though, with people is like a, it's like a deal by deal basis. So it makes sense to bring in this, you know, these guys into this deal to get it done. The one thing I would say is that clearly defining roles. And responsibilities for whatever the, you know, whoever's in the group was what, the, you know, because that's also where I see things get blurred is 
you know, we're like, everybody's happy and great when the deal's closing. But then when, you know, you're trying to operate it and all the, the decision-making and the weight is only on two people and there's four in the group, you know, there can be a lot of resentment that builds up. And, and so I think that's part of it is clearly defining what the roles are and, and spelling that out. And you, you know, we haven't had any trouble. Is there any type of framework, you know, obviously you guys have grown dramatically in a very short period of time, right? And not only just on the acquisition side of things, but also on the management company and the construction company. Is there any type of framework that you guys use in your business to sort of clearly define those roles and who operates what? Kind of have found... If we're going to do the construction, we, Tim and I kind of set like, here's what our expectations are. Here's what we need. And then we found uh, Mike and Project X fill that role. And so when we met with, we're separate entities, but we're working together and we have, I mean, it's like a joint partnership, but you know, it, it was, that was kind of the fine, like we wanted to find the professionals in, that, that could meet our need and then basically go to them and say, here's what we're looking for. Here's what we want. Here's how you get it done that has really helped i think accelerate their understanding of multifamily because like for instance he was not doing anything in multifamily or apartments before we met him but he was a he's brilliant at the project management the scheduling the cash flow management the projections all the things that i see operators struggle with to me it was why do i need to relearn that or why you know it could take years to become professional at that when i need to focus on my tasks over here um, so that's kind of how we've done the construction side um, and then management, you know, we we have we actually acquired a property that came with the staff. Uh, it was a B class property. The staff was great, and so that really sparked us to say, hey, well, you know, this is a big enough property where rather than go in and like let everybody go, we kept them on and then trained them to do it our way. And then we've expanded. Now we've doubled the portfolio in that area uh, with the same staff, and then we've brought on more people. So that was kind of the groundwork for. Uh, the management company. Well, and to go back to the construction company. So if I'm understanding correctly, then it's more of the company that you went out and found and built the relationship with. That was an existing company that was already doing business in different asset types. They just hadn't had any experience in specifically multifamily, but you saw the vision of being able to say, Hey, we can help you expand your business into the multifamily space because of the volume that we're doing. So have you kept that more of a loose relationship or have you gone in and structured something formally where you have a joint venture or ownership in the construction company? Just to clarify. Anything multifamily, we have equity involved in. If he goes out and does like a, a huge hospital project or something like that, you know, a ground up bank or whatnot, we would not have any involvement in that. But anything that we do multifamily or anything multifamily that comes from um, what we are doing, or relationships that we have, or whatnot, then that's directly tied to us. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, any advice or strategies that you would encourage individuals who are seeking out a sponsor in a market outside of their backyard. What do you think are some of the you know the key components to selecting a sponsor to invest with or partner? So for me, operations is very, very important. And it, there's a lot of, you know, if it was me, I would want to know, like, does this person actually understand how to operate these properties? You know, they may not, you know, they don't necessarily have to be the, the property manager per se, or even have their own property management company. But for me is if they don't know how to operate them and things go sideways, will they recognize that it is? And if it is going sideways, especially if I'm in Columbus and I buy something in North Carolina or Texas or whatnot, and I've got local people that are, that would be considered boots on the ground. Have they actually ran these ran properties before? And what's their experience level? Because great example is I have a friend of mine who lived in California, invested out here in Cincinnati, uh, operator that he had out here, did a terrible job. 
And he ended up having to move out here in order to be able to save the deal, right? He, he, he went in as an investor and thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to be completely passive. And he was, in the, he was in the tech industry out in California. And when this thing started going sideways, rather than lose his money, he just took over and he moved out here. He still has his family in California, you know, and it was a huge legal battle. He ended up getting this uh, gentleman, you know, the operator's equity, just to wa- have him walk away. That is a great example of what can happen if you don't vet the operator or they don't know what to do. Um, we've bought a couple of deals from out of state guys in Columbus here where they, you know, they lived in California, New York, they bought out here. They didn't have a great operator locally or somebody that could actually kind of help keep things on task. And the management company that they hired was really driving it into the ground and they had to sell in distress. It was great for us, bad for them. There's plenty of very sophisticated and qualified sponsors and operators who are investing outside of their local market, right? And so clearly that can be done at a very high level and very effectively. But what advantage do you believe you have, if any, of being a local operator and buying in your backyard? I think that at least the model that I took early on was was not going wide and going over all over the country, but going really deep you know, in my market. Somebody that's listening and you're like, man, I wanted to get into the Columbus, Ohio market. That's been huge for our growth is that we've partnered with guys that are out of state that want to come into this because Columbus is a great market or maybe they want to go to Cleveland or they want to go to Cincinnati. Any of those markets, we have the ability to touch those pretty easily. You know, I just haven't had to go... I guess I've been successful in the state of Ohio to where I really haven't been forced to go out that way, to go out into other markets. I lived in New York, right? You may not have any any other option than to go out look in another market. But for me, I kept the our area, you know, originally was an hour within Columbus. And then we just went really deep in that market, understand the ins and outs. You can only look up certain things on uh, certain data, certain things like on the internet and research certain things. You know, I don't think that you really learn the ins and outs of that market. And so you might miss a deal that high level doesn't look like a deal, but if you had somebody local, they're like, oh no, no, this is or it's not, right? Because every broker I talk to, whatever they're selling is is an up and coming area. Or, you know, they're, this is a great area. This, you know, and, and, and then when you're out of fleet, you don't, how do you really know, right? And, and especially, you know, if you don't have that local connection with somebody that is an operator, then it can be tough. Have you acquired anything in your local market that you felt like because you were local, you were able to either get it or get it at a price that someone that was coming outside of your market wouldn't have really had an opportunity to? Yeah, we've had several. And and I think the big thing is, is that our relationships with the brokers, like several of them, like my kids go to school with their kids, you know, or we've known each other for a long time, or I can swing by the office and say, Hey, and you know, a lot of those, at least one of my conversations with them is, you know, they are bombarded by a hundred emails a day of people that want to buy in our market. And so for me, it's just easier to be at the forefront, the first call, the, you know, the guy that they, they reach out to because they know I'll close. They know me personally. They know how I do financing. And then they can come down to the office and they can see what we're doing. They're just like anybody else. They want to, they want to deal with the closers. You know, they want to get the deal done. You know, it's their reputation. It's their time. It's their money that you're messing with. And and so why not go with the known guy or the known commodity? So look, this has been a great conversation. I, I want to start winding down here. Got a few final questions for you. I, I, the first is what are some of the daily habits that you've developed that have helped you to reach this level of success? Uh, well, when I wake up super early, uh, you know, I've got three kids, so I try to get up before they do and it's still dark outside. You know, I get a lot of my stuff done in the morning, um, admin wise, or things that maybe were trailing from the night before I get up and try to get that stuff done. You know, I create uh, a lot of lists of stuff I found early on that in my, you know, my mind can only 
handle so many tasks and I will forget a lot of things. So, you know, I write them all out. I'm much more efficient doing that, I think. Um, and then, like I said, just finding the right players, understanding what my needs are and where we want to go. And then just daily looking for opportunities to connect with people that fill those roles or fill those holes. And next question is, what's your best source for finding new investors at this point? A lot of the stuff that we've done, we've done 506B investments, and it's all been through friends, family, networking. It's been referrals. You know, I have never had, I have not had to like actively go out and pursue people that I don't know yet. I'm sure that there will come a time. Fortunately, so far, when people have a good experience with you or they know that they can trust you and what you say you're actually going to do. That speaks volumes. And so then I feel like that kind of that word travels. And I've had people just call me out of the blue and, and want to talk because they so-and-so had a great experience with us. That's how I found it so far. And uh, the last question I'd have for you is, what are you and your team doing to prepare for a potential downturn in the future? Again, we're buying for cash flow out here in, in Central Island. And then we're trying to just diversify. So we've got different, you know, we've got C-class, we've got B-class. We're looking at possibly doing some ground up construction in 2022, um, we got a pretty uh, neat project. It's 156 units here in Columbus that we're looking at doing. So we're trying to spread the risk out. And I found too that the bigger that we go, the more risk gets spread out. That's been helpful. But really, I mean, you know, we're watching the market. Like I said, we talk to our local brokers regularly and see kind of like what they think. We attend all kinds of events here in Ohio that constantly the continuing education, I guess, of what like, the Ohio market is doing and the trends they're seeing. And we're always monitoring those things. And and looking at that. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed sort of hearing about your journey, you know, into the space and how the book, Dan Sullivan, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan was uh, critical to you really thinking about your business in a different way and then building partnerships and really scaling at a pace that's very impressive. Seth, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and, and learn more about what you have going on? Uh, so they can check me out on Facebook uh, or LinkedIn under my name, Seth Teagle, or they can look at our website. It's uh, www.thestreamgroups.com and they can check us out there and then they can fill out the information tab there and then that will generate an email to my team and then I'll, you know, they can schedule a call with me. We'll have uh, those links in the show notes. Uh, again, Seth, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing some insights about how to build and scale a business while still working full-time, yes, you do have some flexibility as a firefighter, paramedic with 24 on, 48 off, or vice versa. But either way, you have some you know, available time, but still an incredible feat that what you've been able to accomplish in really a short period of time by building out a team, being very diligent in your efforts to find opportunities with other professionals that are in the market to build out not only your acquisitions business, but also the construction business and then also adding the property management piece and how you guys have integrated all three of these businesses together. It's very impressive. And, and thanks for sharing that with us. We look forward to having you on down the road. I appreciate coming on and, and sharing with our, with our listeners. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the real estate syndication show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.